At one time, the government would not permit you to watch Elvis Presley shake his hips on TV. It was too racy. Have you been to a grammar school lately? Because that's where the fight to save or destroy the culture really is. Literally, on the home front, separating parents from their children and submitting kids to the worst kinds of pressures and manipulations. And that's the truth. From TNN, the Truth News Network, with your host, Dan Newman. What do we know about parenting? Oh my gosh, those school teachers and administrators, you know, the ones that uh, were the hippies during the 60s and 70s, they were against everything that was constitutional. Oh, that evil American stuff, American history, lies, lies, lies. We know what's better for children because we're the establishment. And that means we've been around a lot longer than you are. They may not say it. Many of them do say it, by the way. But that crowd is poisoning the minds of our young Americans. And many of us old folks, I mean, we want to be hip. Hip, what the heck does that mean? (laughs) There's two generations, me and the one behind me, that have no remembrance of the term hip. Supposed to be cool, you know. Anyway, all the hoo-ha that goes on every day, all of it, every bit of it, is being thrown at us purposefully to fog up our windshields, keep us confused, keep us never understanding in full what's really going on and why it's all going on. Well, guess what? We're going to unpack a lot of this this morning. Don't forget, it's Tuesday. Second hour of Tuesdays belong to Steve. Steve will be with us. Steve Baker, our investigative journalist, splits time between North Carolina, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Washington, D.C. Where is he going to be today when we talk? Have no idea. But I've communicated with this morning, and he is raring to go. Got big news for us. Meanwhile, Middle East, Israel, Hamas, still trucking. Everything is good. Yeah, it is. Everything good, everything right, everything holy, everything right, everything worthy, all that I should, and all is well, cause I'm gonna dwell on everything Changing the scene, 
plus of you listening that just listened to that song, you have no clue who that was. Name of the song is Everything Good. The group is the Gaither Vocal Band. Yeah, it's a Christian band. We call them a a quartet-sounding band. And they are and were a quartet. That means there's four singers. I'm going to give you a little skinny. In 1967, that was a long time ago. (laughs) It really was. I'm old. I remember 1967. But that guy that you heard playing the keyboards, Terry Blackwood, I took lessons for him that year, Terry Blackwood, at the Stamps Conservatory in Texas. (laughs) Long story, I got a, a lot of really good ideas from uh, learning from him, which you can do. You know that if you're musically inclined. Very few people that are musically inclined are original. They learn something from someone else. A lick, a chord, maybe a run on the keyboard or guitar. Terry Blackwood was an originalist. He was a good guy too, still is. Anyway, I thought we'd change a little bit of the tenor of the song that we start the show with today. And we do have a lot of news. So why don't we get right to it? If you haven't already heard, there were some bombings. Uh, We don't know exactly what that happened in, in Gaza this morning early. And that means that peace fire, it looks like uh, Hamas busted it. Israeli defense forces accused Hamas of violating the ceasefire agreement. There were three explosions, and an exchange of gunfire in northern Gaza early this morning, our time. 
The IDF says the three explosives were detonated in close proximity to Israeli troops, caused some light injuries, while Israel stated that the explosives violated the ceasefire. It didn't indicate if plans to withdraw the deal as of early this morning. We'll keep our fingers crossed. They extended it, if you didn't know, two days. Over the last hour, this is a report coming out of Gaza. Over the last hour, three explosive devices were detonated adjacent to IDF troops in two different locations in the northern Gaza Strip, violating the framework of our operational pause. In one of the locations, terrorists also opened fire at the troops who responded with fire. Now that's from the idea. We'll keep our fingers crossed. This um, ceasefire hostage exchange, although I disagree with much of it, and I'm going to wait till Steve Baker joins us at the top of second hour. We're going to discuss that, but I disagree with a bunch of the uh, thinking that went into this hostage exchange and the mathematical equation that whoever came up with, how many people did Hamas have to release to get how many people for Israel to release? 10 to 1, that's not a good number. It's not a fair number. And then, as you heard yesterday, if you were with us on the show, our president's bragging about his involvement in putting all of this together. Yeah, you really believe that, don't you? I'm sure Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, whenever he wants to think about or talk about or come up with something going on regarding Israel, his country, he calls Joe Biden in D.C. Well, typically Joe Biden's not in D.C., maybe a couple of days a week, and uh, some of those days he puts the lid on the day before lunch. Anyway, they are letting people go, and anybody getting free, getting out of oppressive circumstances, can you imagine? Little babies, they have. Hamas has a 10-month-old baby that they kidnapped and are holding that baby hostage in those tunnels underground. Now, those that have come out, the doctors that have checked all these people out, almost every one of them without exception, is not being fed while they were there. Malnutrition. And it's been like 40 days. I can't believe Hamas would do that. Normally I would say that's no big deal, they're terrorists. But they're wanting quid pro quo. They're wanting their hostages be released. So one would think they would at least be simply uh, civil and take care of the people that they've taken hostage. But I don't think like a terrorist, so I can't weigh in on that. News slipping out of some of those mouths that uh, those Israeli people that have been returned, the aunt of one Israeli child hostage that was freed a couple of days ago as part of a deal, told French television the terrorist had beaten the children, forced them to watch videos of atrocities at gunpoint, and threatened them with guns when they cried. Deborah Cohen, the aunt of Etan Yalomi, age 12, who is a dual French-Israeli citizen, told French TV on Tuesday, Etan apparently saw horrors over there in Gaza. Hamas forced 
Eaton. It's E-I-T-A-N. I'm, it's a French name. I don't get it. But anyway, they watched him watch. They forced him to watch a horror film of October 7th. In other words, the day in the early hours of the morning, October 7th, Friday night and into Saturday morning, they made him watch those videos of them slaughtering 12 to 1,500 Jewish people, many of them in their sleep. Every time that a child cried over there, they threatened the kid with a gun to be quiet. And this aunt, Deborah Cohen, added the child hostages had been beaten when they arrived in Gaza after being kidnapped by Hamas. This little boy was abducted during the October 7th terror attack from kibbutz near Oz, along with his father Ohad, who remains a hostage. Near Oz was one of the hardest-hit communities in that attack, with a quarter of the population murdered or kidnapped. All of the 11 Israeli hostages released in the fourth and final plan release on Monday were women and children who were separated from their husbands and fathers who are still being held as hostages in Gaza. Yahalomi's account adds to growing evidence that Israeli hostages have been being abused in captivity. Other accounts have mentioned being deprived of food, water, and medicine, and being unable to see light or even use the bathroom. In addition, reports are beginning to show up about long-term psychological harm to the child hostages caused by Hamas. Thomas Han, I'll give you this one more story. He's the father of nine-year-old Emily Han, who was thought dead before being confirmed as a hostage, later release. She spoke to CNN saying that, or he, I'm sorry, not the nine-year-old, the dad, Thomas Han. His daughter, he said, would not speak above a whisper and is crying herself to sleep at night. It was only when she stepped back that I could see her face was chiseled like mine, whereas before it was chubby, girly, a young kid face. The most shocking, disturbing part of meeting her was she was just whispering. You couldn't hear her. I had to put my ear to to her lips, he says. She's been conditioned not to make any noise. Last night, she cried until her face was red and blotchy. She couldn't stop. She didn't want any comfort. I guess she's forgotten how to be comforted, he said. She went under the covers of the bed. The quilt covered herself up and quietly cried. Now, the Red Cross has not visited the hostages while they're being held, and they're being faulted by relatives of the hostages for failing to provide them with needed medicines or advocate for their welfare. There's so many evil stuff. That's coming out of this thing. So many horror stories. Lives of anybody and everybody that was kept captive, held as a hostage, will never be the same. You know, it's one of those things you can't unlearn something that you see. It's going to be embellished on these babies' minds and brains for years. Tell you what, let's do. When you think about them in the next few days, and even after that, When you think about those hostages, especially the babies, whisper a prayer for them. There are going to be far more serious ramifications of what they've gone through than just the physical 
and the immediate emotional things that we see. Scars and being scarred for life in many cases. Well, have you noticed, and oh, by the way, if you didn't join us at the top, Steve Baker will be here top of the next hour. Got a lot of news for us, a lot of moving parts. Everything in the world is not about Hamas and Israel. I promise you, the world is continuing to do what the world does. And guess what's happening at our southern border? And guess who is thumping his chest nationally, internationally, because he's so excited that it happened. During an interview yesterday with Bloomberg Television, DHS Secretary Mayorkas, he responded to a question he was asked on how to handle people who are in the country illegally by stating, this was what he said, there are 12 million people who are here in the United States who have been contributing so fundamentally to our country's well-being. That's what Mayorkas said. 12 million people who are here in the United States who have been contributing so fundamentally to our country's well-being. Now, this is Bloomberg TV. Host Romaine Bostic said that the consequences for arriving at the border irregularly won't be a deterrent for a lot of people and don't address the other sort of elephant in the room, which is what? dealing with the undocumented immigrants who are already here in the nation. And I know it's been a political football as we're trying to figure out the best way to address that, but I'm not going to ask you what is the best way to address that from your perspective. Romaine said, I'm going to ask you. So Mayorkas responded. The answer is quite clear, he said, quite straightforward. We've been waiting for it for about 30 years now. And that is to fix a system that everyone agrees is fundamentally broken. And we need congressional action, both for the lawful pathways that really need to be more robust in statute, and for the 12 million people who are here in the U.S. who have been contributing so fundamentally to our country's well-being. They're our neighbors, our friends, our fellow congregants. They provide our frontline workers. We need to do something, and I'm hopeful and remain hopeful that Congress will do it. The president on his first day in office presented Congress with a proposal. Now, let me just rip Mayorkas to shreds. First of all, who anointed Alejandro Mayorkas, a Cuban national that immigrated to the United States legally? Who anointed him and said, you, sir, you, can break every immigration law that Congress has passed and has been in law for years, been amended, many of them, changed, some deleted, but it's done and it's been done and always will be done in the United States by the people that the people of America vote for, send them to Washington to do just that. Pass laws, enforce laws, that the representatives of the American populace voted for to go to D.C. Mr. Mayorkas, who voted for you? Nobody. Who gave you the unilateral authority to every day tread on the U.S. Constitution? You know that document that you pledged that you were going to uphold and support 
and every day you've let thousands of those 12 million you're bragging about come into the United States illegally. Does that mean, Mayorkas, we're supposed to hold you accountable for the 400,000 illegal acts perpetrated by the numbers of the 12 million that you've allowed here? Many of them have perpetrated those criminal acts against Texans alone. And that's everything, Mr. Secretary. Everything from first-degree murder to rape, to breaking and entering, driving while intoxicated, theft, you name it. They're doing it on your watch. Well, the president asked Congress, he gave them a proposal. Well, guess what? A presidential proposal is not a law. Nobody, including Joe Biden, can arbitrarily change the laws that were passed by Congress, and doing so is a felony. I am so sick of Alejandro Mayorkas, but you know who I'm sicker of? I'm sicker of the people that are gutless. Most of them are not elected officials in Congress. We all know why the Democrats across the board are excited about all of these illegals getting here. You know why? The next time the Democrats control all three houses of our government, they're going to somehow create a legal right for anybody that is standing anywhere on U.S. soil. Whether they're here legally or not is immaterial. They're going to get to vote. And between now and then, Democrats are paying everything. Well, they're not really paying everything. We got a report this morning. The annual cost to the American taxpayers for all of the goods and services Mayorkas and Biden arbitrarily chose to put in place and took the unilateral uh, decisions and authorities to pay for everything for this people. A half a trillion dollars a year is what American taxpayers are paying for the wonderful work of Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden and every Democrat in Congress that wants open borders because they want to build a permanent Democrat party base. How do you do that? You charge the taxpayers of America to, to bring these people in, to house them, educate them, feed them, send them to school, take care of their health care, and it's because we're the most generous nation on the planet, but we the people haven't had the opportunity to weigh in on this. Well, we did when we elected these people And by the way, Biden is the one that hired Alejandro Mayorkas. We didn't. Are you sick of this crap? Half a trillion dollars a year. And what are we getting in return from Joe Biden? Lie after lie after lie. Gross misrepresentation. We're going to get into some of those here in a little bit. Meanwhile, we've got a train packed with illegal immigrants barreling toward the U.S. border. Another one. 
and still they come by the millions. The flood of illegals at our southern border under Biden is is as reliable as the fact that politicians in D.C. to continue to fail the American people. It's a historic invasion. Leaves little doubt that immigration has been weaponized by anybody and everybody seeking to undermine our Western values in the U.S. We hear numbers all the time. How many illegals are here? It's in the millions, somewhere north of 8 million since Biden took office. Think about that. Here comes another trainload of them. They're headed towards Eagle Pass, Texas. Right across the border from there is where this train shows up. And if you haven't seen any of the video, go go online and look at it. It's trains, just regular train, and all over the top of the uh, cars that are hooked up to the train, there are thousands of illegal immigrants sitting up there, laying up there, hanging on. They're on their way. The migrants were riding atop a BNSF railway train in central Mexico as it left from Arapato around 200 miles northwest of Mexico City. Train route goes from there to Torreon, Monterey, and then Piedras Negras, a border city across from Eagle Pass, Texas. Most illegal immigrants arriving at the southern border are quickly released within the continental U.S. and will probably never face deportation. So I guess what that means is, you know, you heard what Alejandro said, all of these people, they're doing so much, living among us, doing so much good for America. Horse hockey. Half a trillion a year, and that dollar value grows every month as more are let in. And I don't see that ever ending in sight. So do you think Joe Biden puts that, there is a line item in his budget proposal for the next fiscal year that he puts in there, illegal immigration budget, half a trillion dollars? It doesn't matter if he puts it in there or not. It's happening on his watch at his behest. And the Department of Justice, Merrick Garland, Attorney General, should be absolutely impeached for this, for nothing else. Alejandro Mayorkas should be impeached for this, if for nothing else. Joe Biden should be impeached for this, if for nothing else. All three of those pledged an oath when they were elected and appointed to serve the American people, to protect the American people. Forget about those hundreds of thousands of just Texans. Look around the nation. Look at all of the illegal immigrant crime that's taking place. We don't have a clue who these people are. They don't care. They being Mayorkas, Merrick Garland. And Joe Biden, they don't give a rip. They're safe in their big places, confines where they're safe and they have 24-7 armed guards around them. We sure don't. Oh, my gosh. And then we get into all of the little bitty trivial things going on in the White House. Americans are through. We're not buying it anymore. Waning confidence 
as more and more of us are saying, we don't buy it, led to testy exchanges recently at a White House briefing. Press secretary was pressed over potential change in strategy or staffing for the Biden administration is underwater. Now, I don't know if you ever watch any of the bits where Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, where she comes out and confronts these uh, journalists in the White House briefing room. But she's really, really bad at communication. So as we're now in the final year of President Biden's term, as it gets closer, the Build Back Better mantra appeared to shift to don't believe your lying eyes as harsh realities were ignored in favor of gaslighting. I mean, every time Corrie Jean-Pierre gets on that podium, she gaslights us. She, with impunity, lies through her teeth, giving us facts and figures that even an idiot knows is not true. Peter Ducey, he's Steve Ducey from Fox News, his son. Peter Ducey confronted Corrine Jean-Pierre over the lasting damage of inflation. So, holding the administration's spokeswoman to her claims, Ducey hollered out, you said earlier the actions the president has taken have worked. So is it your sense that when people are home for Thanksgiving, catching up with their family members, they were saying to each other, can you believe how much more affordable things have gotten? So, Corinne Jean-Pierre, she hates Peter Ducey. It's very obvious the way she responds. But before she responded with anything factual, she expounded from a position of feelings and said this, quote, so honestly, I wouldn't, I hear the question, but I want to make sure this is very clear. We take that very seriously. We take what families, families, the decisions that they make at their kitchen table, whether it's at, whether it's during Thanksgiving, or whether it is every month as they're trying to make hard decisions about how they move forward with taking care of their family, we take that very seriously. It's not a joke to us. It is important to us. That was a direct quote. There is nothing of substance in that response. Nothing. Listen again. Her response. Quote, so honestly, I wouldn't, I hear the question, but I want to make sure this is very clear. We take that very seriously. We take what families families, the decisions that they make at their kitchen table, whether it's at, whether it's during Thanksgiving or whether it is every month as they're trying to make hard decisions about how they move forward with taking care of their family, we take that very seriously. It's not a joke to us. It is important to us. Now, see, Ducey, as abrasive as he can sometimes get in those briefings, he also knows if he really responds in a way that that should be addressed, what she said, he'd get kicked out of the press room. They would revoke his his pass, media pass, to the White House. Indicating Biden talks about it in a very personal way, which he doesn't. But anyway, she said, 
The fact is, the data shows that the economy is improving. (laughs) She said this, the data shows that households remain in a strong financial position. Household wealth is, is at a record high, with lower income households seeing the largest gain since the pandemic. Those are indeed what we're seeing. And then Ducey came back. He has to soften his questions that he throws at her. He came back with this. But why do you think it is that when you say the economy is improving and President Biden says the economy is improving, that a majority of Americans outside of this building are not buying it? So she fell, like always, fell back on blaming Donald Trump. She took that from her boss, Joe Biden. And Joe Biden got it from his former boss, Barack Obama. Everything that went bad in the eight years of Joe and Barack, they pointed back and blamed it on George W. Bush, Bush 43. And of course, everything good that happened in the Obama-Biden administration that you could point back to as a result of what was done and put in place under Bush, they still say, look what we did. Look what we've done for you. And she continued with what she said. When we walked into this administration, the economy was on a tailspin, a tailspin. That is the fact. Because of how they dealt with with COVID, and the pandemic because they didn't have a comprehensive plan. Lamenting that Biden would need some time, the correspondent pressed further, but almost three years in office, inflation is up over 17% since President Biden came here, and you're saying that's still Trump's fault? KJP said, as she contended, inflation is moderating, he added. Doesn't that just mean prices are going up slower? Cherry-picking prices that had gone down but were still considerably higher than when Biden was inaugurated didn't resolve the problem in the White House briefing room, nor did it change the lacking confidence from the American public that Jean-Pierre was challenged on by CBS News senior White House correspondent Ed O'Keefe. When given his chance to question her, he presented this. I suspect that if we polled the room, many of us would probably ask some version of the following question. Given the president's sagging poll numbers and the fact that he is currently placing behind any Republican opponent, has there been any talk in this White House about a change in strategy or maybe staffing going forward in reflection of those numbers that continue to show him underwater? That's a logical question to ask. How did she respond? With a blunt no. But she didn't stop at no. She went further. And there was also a call out in recent weeks to staff senior officials. And if you want to go by the end of the year, Go otherwise, you're here for the duration of the rest of the term. Is there, should we be, anticipating any departures of either cabinet officials or other senior officials? Look, I can't speak to people's personal decisions, she said. 
I just don't. I don't have anything to announce at this time. And you know we're going to continue to do the work that the president set out to do. And I'll just interject with her saying that, the work that the president set out to do, line his pockets in the pockets of all his family members and flood the nation with illegals that we're going to turn into Democrat voters. We're going to force them because we were so good to them. We let them come here free of charge. We paid their way. We're paying for them to live, food, clothing, housing, health care, educating their kids. They're going to be obligated to the Democrat Party till hell freezes over. And she said, we just talked about supply chains. We just talked about the economy. We've been talking about the president's leadership globally, especially in the Middle East, she said. And then she added this, that's what we're here to do and focus on. That's what I'm here to do and focus on. I just can't speak to people's decisions. Wow. How regal was that response. I just got chill bumps listening to KJP screw herself into the floor by not answering any questions. Deflect, deflect, deflect. But you know what? Joe Biden does that every time he opens his mouth, and he's not trying to. He just can't talk about anything substantive. You know why? There is nothing in any American's life Not one thing that is better today than it was when Donald Trump moved out of the White House. Nothing. You want to argue about it? As you can tell, I'm in a good spot. I'm in a good spot. (laughs) 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. Much more ahead. Steve Baker at the top of the hour. I'll take a Coke. Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Ow! Are puppies okay? Is a shooting star okay? Is the laughter of a small child okay? Um, Are you with me? You seem confused. Let's role play. Now. Uh, okay, I'm Steve. I'm an actor. No, no, and... no. Just order something. Uh, I'll have... You will have a nice cold glass of the best thing you ever tasted. Okay? Okay. I think you might be just saying it wrong. You gotta say it with pride. Okay? Okay. Oh, yeah, kind of. Pepsi's more than okay. It's okay. Okay, what have we learned today? You want a Pepsi? I want a Pepsi. She wants a Pepsi. There you go. Okay. Like a little John. Okay. I've got to come up with my own catchphrase. Okay. Raid Shadow Legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian. They're spooky. They're um, um, big. And then you go to battle. And it's like, and finally, your foe is vanquished. And that satisfaction such a primal feeling. Ooh. Download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. If you want a smart truck, you want an F-150 with available pro-trailer backup assist. If you want a strong truck, you want an F-150 with a high-strength military-grade aluminum alloy body. 
If you want a capable truck, you want an F-150 with up to 13,200 pounds of available towing. So to recap, you want the smart, the strong, the capable Ford F-150. In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. So our focus has been almost unilaterally on what's going on in the Middle East. War among peaceful people like the Israelis. It's tough for people to not pay attention and be concerned about it. Because... Anytime Israel gets in some kind of major conflict, we all feel like we're on the edge of a nuclear war. Remember this, as far as we know, and I'm sure there are some people in our government that know the real number of nukes that Israel owns. I don't, but we're told it's very significant and they could, if they had to, take care of all their country if any war or any battle that involved them went nuclear. Now, I don't think they would put that out there unless they were sure of that because if uh, there's some tyrant around the earth, and there are plenty of those out there that uh, would love to get into a fight with Israel, probably until the fight actually began. The bullies around the world, you know that. They'd look for any opportunity to go after Israel and the Israeli people. But of course, Joe Biden, he can't stay quiet about things that he needs to stay quiet about. Yesterday, he admitted that prices for Americans are too high, but he ducked any blame for inflation, and he did what he always does. He castigates somebody else. In this case yesterday, corporate America. He says they're price gouging. (laughs) They're... He's, he's blaming everybody because of his inflation. And he's blaming the people that are the ones that create jobs. And they're the ones that when the cost of everything is lower, they always pass the low pricing on to the American people. What and why is it happening that way? It's called capitalism. <laughs> Joe doesn't even understand capitalism. In a speech that he gave on supply chain issues, Joe touted a low employment rate, claimed that inflation has come down 65%, giving families a little more money in their pockets and a little more breathing room this holiday season. He said, we know that prices are still too high for too many things. The times are still too tough for too many families. Well, wait a minute. If Prices are coming down. Inflation has come down 65%. You did it, Mr. President. You're claiming you did it. Why would it be too expensive still? Quote, we've made progress, but we have more work to do, he said. Let me be clear. To any corporation that's not brought their prices back down, even as inflation has come down, even supply chains have been rebuilt. It's time to stop the price gouging and give the American consumer a break. When do you think was the last time Joe Biden ever cut a check or paid for anything with a credit card and then had to pay the bill the end of the month when it comes in? 
maybe 50 years. That's how long ago he got in Congress. 50 years ago. He doesn't have a clue. Somebody gave him that number. Inflation has come down 65%. What that means is he became president. Inflation went through the roof and it came back down several percentage points. And putting that in the context of how high it went percentage-wise, that's how he is justified, or ever wrote it, he didn't write it, justifies saying it came down 65%. That means it's almost, it's almost 50% higher still than it was when he got the reins. Confusing the American people with fake facts. That never just blows right through people's minds. People that are actually out in the middle of the world, everywhere where the rubber meets the road, living life, paying for things. If you listened to the show yesterday, we introduced a new term that explains what is happening as I and many of you that have reached out to me have talked about when we go buy the same things we bought back in the Trump administration, there are fewer parts of it in the packages, like a loaf of bread. The bread itself is smaller, and they're charging the same prices. Yesterday, we had a story that went into it even deeper, looking at the volume, the weight of ingredients in boxes like cake misks. The box looks the same, but then down at the bottom, you're paying the same price, but down at the bottom, and you compare it to the same box of cake mix that you had in your cupboard that was there a couple of years ago, they reduce the amount of the product inside. That is called now shrinkflation. And it's to try to do what Joe just tried to do, Messing around with numbers, thinking we're too stupid to catch on. The first solution to the problem Biden was referencing was tackling junk fees while claiming, here we go, MAGA Republicans in Congress are pushing back on our efforts. He also claimed Republicans want to go back to the bad old days when corporations looked around the world to find the cheapest labor they could find just to send the jobs overseas and then import the products back to the United States. By the way, Joe, Donald Trump did two things that you haven't ever done and you don't have the chutzpah to even do them. Two things. They reduced the taxes on big major corporations that have a huge portion, if not all, of their company operations in the United States, but they did work in foreign countries. They left, they parked billions of dollars in cash in overseas banks because Mr. Obama and Mr. Biden in their eight years, any of that money that came back to the corporation's headquarters, it was taxed here after it had been taxed in the nations overseas. Donald Trump did away with that. In his first six months, there was $650 billion of corporate profits 
that came back into the United States. What does that mean? Cash flow. That means these corporations had all this cash freed up. What did they do? They started hiring people. Donald Trump had the highest number of African Americans employed, the highest number of black women employed, and women of other ethnicities than any other president in American history. Corporations started using that money and expanding, hiring hiring more people, giving people raises. And those efforts, along with the Trump tax cuts, even though the Democrats were screaming, the sky is falling, sky is falling, tax revenue to the government went through the roof. The most ever. And then just two months ago, we heard the Biden administration, their economist, Janet Yellen, they're like, boy, we don't understand. We raise taxes on the wealthy, wealthy people. You know, we we know that always brings in more money. But the federal government was $600 billion down in tax collections. You know why? People weren't having to pay the taxes because they were losing money, not making money. That means tax revenue went down. It works the opposite of what you idiots think. When you reduce cost for everybody involved in a process of producing goods or services, when you, the government, reduce those costs, you know, by tax cuts, you know, those horrible tax cuts, they have more money. They spend more money, which means from the process We're told if you take a dollar bill and you go to an ice cream store and you buy an ice cream cone, you pay that dollar bill to the ice cream place. The people that have that ice cream place, they're going to go buy ice cream and other stuff to replace the ice cream that you ate. And I'm dumbing it down. You understand that. But every dollar spent in a thriving capitalist economy turns over a minimum of four times. The true economists say it's four to six times. So when there are more of those dollars in the hands of the American people, they're going to spend more of it. It's going to turn over four to six times as the daisy chain dicks take. People produce it and people buy it. I'm not a genius, I'm not an economist, but that stuff just makes sense to me. It does. I just don't get when people in this administration, they refuse to accept facts. Those are crazy things. The only facts they'll even talk about are the ones that they think makes them look good. I'll give you an example. Biden's out there crowing, taking all of the credit for a small drop in the cost of gasoline of late. You know why? He's the one that's making it happen. Now, this is coming from this story from CNBC, their Squawk Box show. That's not Fox News. Co-host Becky Quick yesterday stated that while the U.S. has sanctions on Iran, 
Well, that doesn't matter to Uncle Joe. He has acknowledged they're going to continue to allow, his words, they're going to continue to allow Iranian oil to be sold elsewhere on earth because the Biden administration don't want oil prices to go up. CNBC contributor and global head of commodity strategy for RBC Capital Markets, Halima Croft, said, quote, Iranian exports have grown this year. They have grown significantly. So, is the Biden administration going to come under increasing pressure to tighten the Iran sanctions? Now, Amos Hochstein was out basically saying, we're going to have tougher enforcement. But what are those Iran numbers going to actually look like? That's a very important wild card, I think, for next year in terms of market balances. Earlier, Joe, on his own, without any discussions with Congress, you know, our strategic oil reserves, all the oil that the government buys up and they keep it to use when we have catastrophes domestically, things like rampant fire, earthquakes, uh, tornadoes, hurricanes, all those kinds of things when we need energy sources very quickly. That's what it was structured to do. Well, Joe, when he and Barack were in office, they just decided, hey, let's use that oil. And they did. They depleted our national oil reserves. And as they repleted, what they do is they sell it. And they sell it to keep the price of oil down. It's all about supply and demand. When there's less oil on international markets, the prices go up. When there's more oil, the prices come down. Joe has nearly depleted without anybody being discussed with in our government. He just said, hey, let's start selling our strategic oil reserves. And they've done that. Oh, by the way, Iran's making a whole lot more money because of Joe arbitrarily removing sanctions. He didn't consult Congress. He just did it. Executive action. There's not a shred of integrity in the White House. There's not a shred of honesty in the presidency right now. And people that are there working for, supposedly working with, on behalf of the American people, they're in it for one thing, themselves. If they thought and felt otherwise, here's what you do. When you go to work for government, in the old days, this is what it was about. When Congress was invented, you know the reason that members of the House of Representatives only serve two-year terms? Those people, when our Congress, uh, Constitution was written, our government was set up. Those were the representatives, the direct representatives of the people in their communities they came from. They are average working people that made a commitment to take off work for two years and go to D.C. and represent the people that they lived with in those towns and cities. That was a two-year sacrifice. 
in the Senate, senators, U.S. senators were appointed originally by the governors. And each of the 100, two in each state, they represented the governors who run all of the 50 states. Those people, they made little bitty money. I mean small money. You couldn't live on it. It was a sacrifice to serve in government. Not so much today. In fact, I'll take the word much out. Not today. Nobody leaves Congress busted. Nobody. Well, why can't we do something about it? (laughs) We don't make the laws. Who makes the laws? And by the way, when the bills come through the House and the Senate and they're approved there, they go to the White House, the president, whoever's in office, will sign it, and then it becomes law. Who handles all of that? Who handles pay raises? Congress. Nice kind of deal to be able to work and take off one-third of your year to so-called go back to your districts and states and meet with the people you represent to make sure you're hearing and taking care of all their needs. They take a third, a minimum, of a third of the year off, and they get paid to do it. Who determines their pay? They do. Who determines their cush expense accounts? They do. The love of money is the root of all evil. I know you're tired of hearing me say that. I'm tired of hearing me say that. Why do I say it every now and then? Because it's legitimate. It is a problem, and it's getting bigger, not better. Golly, they make life for all of us way worse than it needs to be. And then they find ways, they get in circles, and they discuss how we're going to sell this to the American people. They used to really give a rip about what we thought. Nowadays, ah, it doesn't matter. What are we going to do about it? Well, they know there's nothing we can do, so they just keep on trucking. He'll never let you fall to the lies. Your bulwark against the tide of fake news. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. So you guys grew up together? Yes, yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I wasn't, I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Who's us? Supermodels? What do you model? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. Oh, I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. You do your thing, and you do it well. Now, it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store, expand into new sales channels, and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify.
a Tuesday, second hour at TNN Live. That Tuesday, second hour belongs to the one, the only Steve Baker. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good. I'm doing well, Dan. How are you this morning? I am good. What geographical position are you in speaking from? If I drive five miles or five minutes, uh, five, ten minutes to my west, I'm in Alabama. If I drive ten minutes to my north, I'm in Alabama. Can you can you guess where I am? Probably Gulf Shores or Destin. <laughs> I am in the very tip, tip north west corner of the panhandle of florida i've been there many times you know we we people in louisiana when you were a kid we didn't know they had sand like that you know every Mm -hmm. once in a while i'd go to the i lived down by the louisiana border but it was all swampy and there were beaches in a couple of places it was all brown and ugly so was the water and you just go over on the other side of mobile alabama and then go down there there they have that bleached white sand and crystal blue water. It's one of my favorite places on the planet. Well, I will tell you that I'm in that part of the country where they say that it's the only part of the country where you have to drive north in order to be in the real south. (laughs) (laughs) This, this, I'm in that part of the country where everybody here was uh, doing their football parties on Saturday for the Alabama Auburn game, not the Florida, Florida state game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and I've got lots of good friends that uh, we, we've we got people fighting on all sides of those two football games. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, we're Southerners, both of us grew up in the same place. We love football in the South. I don't know if maybe, maybe uh, up in the Northeast, the Big Ten, they seem to think that their football is better than ours in the South. But it just seems like... Every time we get to a national championship, it's a bunch of those evil Southerners, you know, <laughs> slave owners. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're we're the ones that did it. Hey, listen, I know you you uh, you got to go down to Florida for Thanksgiving, but you uh, you had some business that you did down there. Do you want to tell us about your meetings with government folks, or you want to wait? Well, yeah, I, actually, um, I am. I was originally supposed to meet with the uh, Florida Attorney General staff today. That got rescheduled for tomorrow morning. So I'm actually headed over to Tallahassee here this afternoon. I'll spend the night there, and then I have my meeting with those folks in the morning, and then I'll be able to report on that uh, shortly thereafter. Well, we'll we'll give you a rain check on that. I told you this morning that I wanted to do a a launch quickly, kind of a round-the-world thing, an analysis of Joe Biden. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> to be completely... Yeah, well, you, you just say that, Dan, and I have to laugh. But, but, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, that may be an oxymoron to say an around-the-world analysis of Joe Biden because I know I can't figure it all out. I was just hoping you could come in I don't, I don't know if you're in a place where you were listening to the show 15, the last mm-hmm. 20 minutes or so. I just went yeah, nuts. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so sick of this stuff. I mean, it there, it's just past 
the point of insanity, you know, the definition of insanity, doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. He does the same things over and over again, and he doesn't even have the chutzpah to expect whatever the results are going to be. It's like, hey, let's throw this up against the wall and hope some of it sticks. And then nobody ever tells him any of it stuck or it didn't. He never knows. He's (laughs) oblivious to life. You know, the most absurd claim that I heard him make in the last couple of days was when he said that the cost of the Thanksgiving meal was the fourth lowest uh, for American families that it's been in history. Ever. Now, now he said, he said this by way of comparison to the um, average income, you know, the income of the average American. The problem with his statement and his analogy is he may be right that if you take the income and you take the cost of the meal, it may have been as a percentage of the income, the fourth lowest. But what he didn't say is that the cost of the fuel that we're paying, the cost of our uh, utility bills that we're paying, the cost of a rent or for your, the cost of a mortgage and the interest paid on that mortgage now, and the cost of every single other thing that we do now is so much more expensive that we can't afford that fourth lowest Thanksgiving bill <laughs> that we've ever experienced. He doesn't quite put that in context. And context is everything, and that's, of course, what that administration misses out on the most. If you uh, if you offered him a million dollars, he couldn't give you the definition of the word context. <laughs> That's right. I mean, literally, he's one of the guys he, he walking along. <laughs> I don't want to denigrate him for his cognitive decline. I'm seventy. You're not there yet, but you're well on your way. And things just get a little different every few years, but. Literally, I have seen him when he's walking with Jill and he'll lean over and you can tell he's asking her a question. I will bet you more than once he'll say this. Hey, are my Depends wet? Do I need to change them? <laughs> uh, in fact, it, 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 it made front page news and everybody just immediately pulled it down because they got in big trouble for it. He was walking in his jacket. I don't remember if it was a sports coat or if it was a suit coat. It kind of blew open and was hung on his waistband. His Depends were hanging out. Everybody for the world to see. And you know what? I think probably most of us are eventually going to go down that road. But I don't think any president of the United States should be a person that qualifies to need to do that. I think... I'm way too old to be president at 70, and I know that'll make my wife breathe easier because I've made that determination. But I'm not nearly as quick as I used to be, and I think everybody can say the same thing about him. But the worst part about it is what is happening on his watch, much of which he probably doesn't even know about. Um, this no, thing- he, he doesn't know. He doesn't know beyond what's on his teleprompter, what's going on, and then even then, he can't read the teleprompter correctly. So it's it's a it's a sad state of affairs in that we do. You know, look, it's it's easy for us to joke and laugh and say that we are 
uh, living in a world with a puppet president. But let's let's just be perfectly honest. That's exactly what's happening right now. And, and it's a shame that, that we're in that position, but that's where we're at. And unfortunately, when they take him in front of a microphone, they have jacked him up on his B12 shots or whatever amphetamine uh, cocktail that they put him on to survive that. And then they lead him back to his, uh, his morning or afternoon nap after that. And it's just, it's just the way it is. Well, here we are. We're approaching very quickly 2024. 2024 is going to be a big year on a lot of levels. It, it, I didn't give you a, a chance to even think about this. So if you want to push it back further, just say so. Looking ahead at 2024, what do you think the end of next November this will be right after the election, and we're looking at an administration, either his coming back or somebody else going into the White House. What do you think on a international landscape as it pertains to the U.S.? What do you think is going to be going through our minds when you and I talk 12 months from today? What do I think it's going to look like? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, oh my goodness. Yeah, I dropped, I, I dro- know, folks, I, I dropped this on him. He wasn't expecting this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you, there's there's one thing that obviously came up many times during the holiday gathering here. Fortunately, I spent my time with uh, family members and extended family that are right-thinking Americans. They're patriots. They're not uh, – uh, this is not a woke, a woke crowd down here. I will tell you that right now. Uh, this, this is very, very much a uh, crowd that understands what's going on. And so many of them, because of my position right now, working with the Blaze and uh, the interactions that I've had in recent months with the likes of Jim Jordan and Speaker Mike Johnson and, uh, and others, uh, the fact that I spent two hours yesterday on the phone with uh, the chief of staff of one of my favorite uh, congressmen. Because I have this kind of inside track of so many things, they want to know from me that question. So even though you didn't prepare me for that question, I've had that question uh, in various forms over the course of the last five days. And the truth of the matter is, Dan, I don't know because we have never been in my lifetime anyway, we've never been in a situation right now where I couldn't a year out make a educated, um, learned based on my political instincts or my experience of following these things as closely as I have all these years. I, I can't make a prediction even who I think is going to be the top of each of the uh, two-party systems tickets by the time we get to November next year. I, I don't know. Uh, we, you know, we certainly we have a we have a guy at the top of the Republican ticket who is leading by 30, 40, 50 points in the polls, depending upon where the poll is taken and who is doing the poll. But he has so many legal hurdles that he has to pass between now and then. We don't even know if he's going to be on the ticket, if he's going to be sitting in a jail cell somewhere, if he's going to survive that process. And that's not making that for me, that's not my, making either an endorsement or, or, or a critique about that situation. It's just the reality of the situation that we're in. And then on the other side, 
On the other ticket, we have a guy who clearly, as we've already talked about, is not cognitively present enough to deserve or should be on that ticket. I still am holding to my prediction you heard from me a year ago that he will not be at the top of that ticket by the time we get there. I still believe that they're going to replace him before or at the uh, the Democratic National Convention uh, next summer. I just don't believe that they that the party itself believes that they can win with him on the top of that ticket. So with that groundwork laid and not knowing who is going to be at the top of either ticket, I can't even begin to predict where we're going to be at that time next year. There, there are some common things, I think, that we can postulate on, maybe not know for sure, but hypotheticals based upon what probabilities might happen. Uh, I, I personally think it's who's going to be on the uh, Democrat um, docket next November is going to be one of three people, Joe Biden, big boy in California, Gavin Newsom, yeah, yeah. or Michelle Obama. And that would be Big Mike. Yes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going down that road with you. <laughs> and, and that's a joke. That's yeah, a joke. it is. And and yeah. I heard the president, Obama, call him Mike. Mike and me. Not Michelle, mm-hmm. Mike and me. But mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. we're not going down that road. But I, I think, to be honest, just totally honest with everybody, in my mind, she is the only one of the right now possible candidates that we're talking about. She's the only one, I think, that could actually handle the job by just working the job. And she's made it abundantly clear in numerous public appearances she doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Why would she? I mean, oh, she, why would she give? Why would she give up her life? I mean, she is living the life of an elitist millionaire celebrity, catered to in every way, shape, or form, and to have to take on the responsibility of a president and actually have to work all day every day in that capacity, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take that on. And she's seen the dirty side of it firsthand because Barack Obama had his hands full for eight years. And sure. how many times do you think they had the conversation about, we really don't want to do this, you know? We don't want to do yeah. it, but they did it twice, you know, eight years there. But I think under a perfect scenario, and I don't know what that would be, where the sky would be totally clear and there would be no real new obstacles and many of the old ones that exist now would be put behind them. In a scenario, whatever that scenario would be, I think if she would step up to the plate, especially in what we're living in right now, I think she'd be a shoe in And I think it would be tough for Donald Trump, even with a clean slate, I think it would be tough for him to go up and beat her just because she's African-American and she's female and she has yeah. a last name, Obama. That goes a long way, mm-hmm. long, long way. Okay, but let's put that to the side. It doesn't matter who gets the White House bid. We're still going to have all this stuff internationally that's going to be lingering. I don't see any of this stuff in the Middle East will be totally resolved 
before our election next November. I hate to say that and predict it, but I think the way it's being managed now, I think too many of the big players on the other side are throwing bunches of dollars into the fray to keep it going for as long as possible. And that, of course, all goes back to Iran. That Joe has just dumped buttloads full of money on, and they're just blowing it off around the world, paying all their henchmen to keep all the uproar going on against Israel. I don't see that being a pretty ending, anytime soon at least. Well, the, the Middle East is not going to be resolved until you know who comes riding in on a white horse with a sword out of his mouth and fire in his eyes. <laughs> and you know what? That, and, hey, that's a possibility in the upcoming year. Right, right. And and the the my point there is is you and I were talking two or three weeks ago about this situation in Israel, and you asked me what was going to happen, and I said one of two things is going to take place. Either Israel is as they have done every single time over the last seventy years. They're either going to capitulate to the pressures being put on them by the other nations of the world, by the UN, and they're going to compromise once again. They're going to back off. They're going to pull their troops back home. They're going to um, make some sort of compromise yet again to settle things down and to get everybody to lay off of them. And uh, Or the other option is that we're going to have World War III. And that is still what's that those really are the two options right now, and we're seeing the capitulation yet again because they are once again yielding to the pressures. And and here's and here's what's happening: we're getting you know a few dozen hostages released, um, Israeli citizens, um, uh, American, and other nationalities that are being released and driven across the uh, the fence line back into. Uh, Israel on buses, and at the same time, Israel is now releasing back to Hamas and to, to uh, the, the Palestinians a hundred plus actual murdering terrorists in exchange for that. And Dan, I'm sorry, but this is not a fair exchange. This is not a good exchange, but this is and is endemic of the type of pressure that is being put on Israel by the nations of the world, by the Biden administration. And by the way, we all, we've been talking about, we opened this with talking about Biden's uh, ineptitude. He, he obviously is taking credit for this, but he didn't participate in these negotiations. This is done by the people who are running the government, whoever they are. And um, at the end of the day, this is the kind of pressure that Israel is always under and that they always capitulate to every single time that they get into the situation where they're attacked from from outside. And as I've mentioned before, here just last week, week before, ever since this thing started, and you and I have been talking about this, is, is Israel, regardless of what you think about, whatever your preconceptions are about um, Zionism, whatever your preconceptions are about the Jewish religion, about the Jewish people, about the nation of Israel itself, there's one thing historically that we know about Israel and we know about the Jewish faith. They are not an expansionist government and they are not a proselytizing or an expansionist religion. They just want to be left alone. Leave us alone. 
Unfortunately, they're surrounded by entities, by governments, by peoples, and by a religion that wants to see them eliminated from the earth. And, and unfortunately, the other governments of the earth are not going to ever buy into that. They're not ever going to leave them alone. And it's going to take that, <laughs> that white horse event before that problem is ever re- resolved. Well, I think it will be resolved. I think eventually, ultimately, that will be the resolution for all of this. But we live in Earth right now. We deal with earthly things. This whole Israel-Hamas thing, it really shocked me how it escalated so quickly here in the United States. Talk about divisiveness. Talk about people taking sides I was shocked. I did not know there were so much support for the Palestinian national people across the United States. But it's been epic, the things that we've seen and heard. Don't you agree? It's epic, but I I, I will tell you, Dan, I don't think it's support. It is ignorance spurred on by the spirit of the age that we're looking at right now. This is when you have. If you don't think this is this is a a product of national brainwashing, a mass psyop, uh, deliberate um, uh, propagation of of ignorance upon our people, you only have to look as we've uh, again as we've said before. If you see people marching down the street holding banners that say LGBTQ for for um, Palestine, the, the 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 level of ignorance there is stunning, because the first thing that's going to happen is if they prevail, and if any of those people holding those banners were to go over to Palestine and celebrate, is they're going to be invited to a rooftop party <laughs> by the Palestinians? If you know what I mean. Two years ago, Steve, somebody sent me a video, and it was taken right at dusk. No explanation, didn't know what it was, but whoever was filming it was doing it inside a building, looking across the street at a five-story building. And without any notification, just all of a sudden, there was a big burlap sack that just came from the rooftop and splat on the street. And it happened four more times. And the person that was filming it at the end of it said, if you're wondering what that was, those were five gay men. And it was in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was in Gaza, gay men that they took them up on the rooftop and executed them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but that, that, but that that's was way le- before. That is, that is. Go ahead. That's it. That's the level of ignorance that we're talking about. These, these are the people that are lining up and marching in the streets in this in, in our country by the tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands who have complete and total inability to connect those dots and understand what they're marching for and what they're marching about. Not to mention, I mean, the, 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 the fact that they are continually being psyoped by the mainstream press that are continually trying to massage the truth of what really happened when the the when Hamas came across uh, uh, in, into Israel 
back on October 7th. They're con continuing to massage that, continuing to, uh, even in this release of new hostages, they're releasing stories that, that literally say that these children and these women who are being released, that Hamas saved them from themselves, and, and it, was, it was their... Um, it was their benevolence that allowed them to um, uh, be put and brought over and kept in a safe place until they could be released back. And we have mainstream news uh, media outlets that are parroting that message from Hamas. No, no, no question about that. Because as you said, most of the people on the streets of the U.S., they don't understand. Two things I want to ask you about uh, in this regard. Number one... Your explanation of the term from the river to the sea. <laughs> Go. You want my explanation or you want Kamala Harris's explanation? <laughs> I want the real explanation. I, I know the answer, but I want I, I love for you to give the the explanation and then expand on it. That's what I want you to it, do. It, the explanation is no more simple than this. They want to take every single human being from the river to the sea and wipe them out and end their existence on this planet. And that, by, by way of that, I mean every single one of them who are uh, of Jewish heritage, Jewish descent, Jewish belief. That's, that's all that means. And, and when people are chanting that, in the streets, they either know it or they don't. They're either ignorant or they're complicit. It's no more complicated than that. Well, the river is the Jordan River. Uh, it's on the yep. northeast side of, of uh, Israel. And then going to the sea would be across Israel to the Mediterranean Sea, which goes right across the Gaza mm -hmm. Strip. In other words, they want everybody yep. that's not uh, Palestinian to be killed, not removed, but to be killed. That's that's the river to the sea thing. By the way, I was baptized in the Jordan River in last February, uh, this past February. Have you been baptized there yet? No. Well, I've got one up on you. I have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Denny Duran is the one that baptized me, and the river in February is cold. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> the other term is the two-state solution, and I love this because 99% of the people that even say that have no clue what they're talking about. Your explanation of a two-state solution. Well, the two-state solution is a grand idea if in fact the other side, and by the other side, I mean the Palestinians and the um, Arab slash Muslim world actually bought into that. But see, even if those words two-state solution come out of their mouths, they're speaking out of what we call the other side of their mouth. They have no intention whatsoever of their ever being a two-state solution. They don't say it in their mosques. It's not said in their um, uh, their holy book. It's not said by their imams. It is not even 
on their minds, except as a political phrase to be used in the moment to once again get Israel, as I said earlier, to capitulate to some new compromise, to stand down, to um, uh, stop uh, their their pull their forces back uh, out of the Gaza Strip or out of the West Bank, whatever the case may be in this particular conflict, and that is the only that is the only use that they have for that phrase. The ultimate idea of a two-state solution, in other words, of having a Palestinian state somewhere over there in some part of that territory, they have no intention whatsoever of that well, ever taking place. They, they got that. People, <laughs> well, many they got people, it. Yeah, many people don't even understand in 2005, that's exactly what they got. The Israeli government went back to the border of 1949, the original border, the Gaza Strip belonged to the Palestinians. And in 2005, the Israelis pulled totally out of all of Gaza and gave it to the Palestinian national people to be their state. But what the idiots did, they decided we need to have an election. And so they had their own election. It wasn't a free and fair election because who won it? Hamas, and they became the governing entity of that (laughs) other state. And I think they kind of got burned on that deal a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It it was, in fact, an effort to accomplish that and to fulfill that international ideal of a two-state solution. But again, anything that comes out of the mouth of the Palestinian leaders, anything that comes out of the mouths of Hezbollah, Hamas, Iran, or any of the other Arab states, giving lip service to that phrase, two-state solution, that's all that is. There is no intention there whatsoever. In their heart of hearts and in their minds and as they teach in their mosques, there is no such thing. The two-state solution is a facade, or it, it's it's a um, it, it's almost laughable to them because their end goal is from the river to the sea. Period. On another note, seventy-six attacks in the last well, I, I guess since October seventh, seventy-six attacks on American installations spread across Iraq and Syria. Honestly, yeah. I didn't know we had any installations. Over there, but nevertheless, there have been, and very little, if anything, has been done. Oh, we've retaliated in some fashion. I think five or six times. That's what I was told yesterday. What's that all about, and why is it still happening? Well, it's it's happening, Dan, and this is where my this is where my libertarian uh, blood begins to boil. <laughs> is that is that we're in places that we shouldn't be. To, to begin with, and that we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing in, in the first place. We're involved. Uh, look, there there was this thing, this notion pushed back uh, long ago. You may remember when um, uh, Representative Ron Paul, when he was running for president, and he talked about in one of the, day, the debates, he talked about blowback. And he got booed in that GOP audience, uh, and, you know, and he was... He was castigated uh, from the uh, his own party for talking about blowback, but it's a real thing. The fact of the matter is, and we see this 
all the time, and it doesn't have to be the United States. We don't. It doesn't have to be us. It could be so many other situations that we can apply this to. But when we use force unnecessarily, whether it's in retaliation or whether it's an offensive move because we're trying to establish or set up a democracy in a place that doesn't want democracy, it's not part of their thousands of years of historical, uh, it's just not in their genetics to, to uh, live under democracy. They want to live under a, uh, you know, a, an Islamic theocracy. And when we try to force that on a people, and when we do react to these attacks, we literally create more enemies than we had the day before. And, that, and that's, it's unfortunate that that's the case because we as Americans, if we are attacked, we feel like we have the right to respond. And we do if they attack our soil. If they attack us here in the United States, absolutely. We have every right uh, by international law and moral law to to retaliate in a manner to uh, eliminate that threat. But we have to expect blowback. And we have our forces in far too many places, far too many countries, far too many bases set up right now than we really can justify either fiscally as a nation that's broke right now or, um, as I said, uh, militarily, morally, or whatever. Now, there is the, the concept, and this is really getting into the weeds here. You, you're taking me down paths I didn't expect to go today, but it really gets into the weeds because when we did, when we did pull out of, for instance, we pulled out of Afghanistan, um, yes, that's going to leave a vacuum, and guess who's going to fill that vacuum? A strong man, a uh, corrupt entity, al-Qaeda returned, by the Taliban returned rather, and that's what happens when we do leave a vacuum. But that is that's their world, that's their territory. Yeah. Uh, my, as I said, if if I, I'm I'm one of those uh, Jeffersonian guys that you know I want uh, you know peace and trade with all nations and and uh, no entangling alliances with any of them. And I think that that's the proper course that our founders set up and that we have strayed too far away from. Wow. Well, one final note, final, <laughs> final thought. Uh, I just got a look-see a few moments ago. Speaker Johnson has floated. He's getting a lot of pushback on not ponying up for more Ukraine aid. He just floated it out there. Maybe they, the House Republicans, would consider more aid for Ukraine that would be 100% tied to shoring up our southern border. <laughs> you think that's going to happen? <laughs> I, Dan, anything can happen in D.C. And when you talk about, you talk about compromise for the art of con compromise. Yeah. There's only one. There's only one thing you ever have to do in D.C., and that's just follow the money, follow the money, <laughs> and you can't follow the. And don't ever look at the title page of a bill. Correct. It doesn't matter if it's a if it's a twenty page bill or a two thousand page bill. You never ever look at the title page because the title page is in and of itself always a diversion to hide and obscure what's hidden in the rest of that document. 
Well, typically it just goes, it just goes, it just goes to the end of it because the last paragraph in it says, and all of this can be revised by congressional consent at any time. They could change everything. (laughs) Or, or more specifically and more accurately, it says as the secretary may deem, which means is that after writing 2000 pages worth of a document, then they hand it over to the unelected bureaucrat to actually determine where all the money's going to go and how it's going to be spent. Of course. I mean, after all, it is the federal government. Hey, listen, thanks yeah, so much. This, this is it. This is it, Dan. Real real quick. Yeah. This is the problem with this Ukraine-Israel border trying to tie it all together. That means that in order to get that compromise so that everybody gets their pet project on the front page, the rest of them are getting money for their other projects inside that bill. 100%. That's all that means. Quid pro quo. That's what it is. Yep. Hey, listen, when you get into your meetings in Tallahassee, if there's anything really meaty that you can bring back, give me a holler. We'll put you back on later in this week to explain. We'll Other, do it, man. Otherwise, we'll, it. we'll look forward to your next appearance here at TNN Live next Tuesday. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, buddy. Have a great weekend. Uh-huh. You too. See you then. Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. At Akio, we've been making the best in mobile phones for over 20 years. How did we get there? By putting ringtones in every commercial that make you think your phone is ringing. Whether you have a new phone, an old phone, or just leave it on vibrate. We make sure you always hear your phone in our commercials. It's our way of saying, we hear you. So don't be silenced when opportunity calls. Pick it up. It's for you. Akio Mobile. You're juvenile, mate. Everyone has one. The guy that's fun to be around, but he's dangerous to be around. You've got to keep him away from your things, like your tools, your gadgets, and your girlfriend. So before you get your juvenile mate around, get your lips around a dare ice coffee. The real Arabica and Robusta coffee kick will tell you what to do. Hire a jumping castle. Hours of fun for kids of all ages. A dare iced coffee fix will fix it. Starbucks Via Instant is made with the same 100% Arabica beans served at Starbucks. So it's the only instant with the rich, delicious taste of the Starbucks coffees you love and takes only seconds to make. Starbucks Via Instant, the only instant coffee of its kind. Available in black flavored lattes and iced coffee. What's the biggest number you can think of? A trillion, billion, zillion. That's pretty big. How about you? Ten. Okay. How about you? Infinity. Can you top that? Infinity and one. Actually, we are looking for infinity plus infinity. Sorry. What about infinity times infinity? It's not complicated. Bigger is better. And AT&T has the nation's largest 4G network. Getting tired of only spin while looking for just the news? No spin, just truth. Read and hear it every day on TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. It's always good to have Steve on a different perspective about some of the big, big, big things that 
you and I are dealing with along with our fellow Americans. You know what? Having an opinion, everybody has a right to have an opinion about everything, anything and everything. And just remember this. I'll confess it myself right now. Just because I think something's right doesn't make it right. And the opposite is true, too. Just because I think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. So our lives, especially as busy and as helter-skelter and hectic as they are, it's built upon this. Just keep digging. Keep looking. Keep asking the questions. Don't pull back. Don't ever feel like your question is not valid. Nobody knows everything. And we can get a collection of thoughts and ideas, and often if we're objective and look at facts, we can come up with answers. Maybe not the whole picture, but at least enough from which we can make some good choices. That's all we can do, folks. Do the best that we can do for ourselves and our families. And do it in prayer and thoughtfulness and listening and looking and finding facts. We haven't talked about the criminality that is just reaching epic proportions in many of our big cities around the nation, most of them governed by hardcore Democrats. New York retailers, now think about this, New York retailers are blasting Governor Hochul after losing collectively $4.4 billion to theft across the state. Not million, $4.4 billion. Hochul vetoed a proposal last week that would have created a 15-member task force of appointed so-called experts to tackle organized retail crime. And it was overcome to the chagrin of store owners. Retailers across the state of New York are extremely disappointed to learn that Governor Hochul vetoed a bipartisan bill that would have established the New York State Organized Retail Crime Task Force. Stores that invest in New York communities collectively lose $4.4 billion to retail theft, and this illegal activity certainly has community safety implications. So Council President and CEO Melissa O'Connor said she spoke with the governor at length to discuss the need for immediate action and an effective collaborative response to the problem, but reported that her administration has disappointed store owners throughout the state with her inaction. So her spokesperson excused the veto by saying that the task force would have cost the state $35 million that was not in the budget. Well, let's see. $4.4 $4.4 billion was lost. I wonder if buried in that $4.4 billion, if it hadn't been lost, there would have been enough money, $35 million or so, that would have picked up the slack and paid for the gig, right? New York City has seen major increases in theft. 64% surge in reported incidents there over the four-year period between mid-2019 and June of this year. That's according to a Council on Criminal Justice report. So while the Big Apple faces the brunt of the crime in New York, smaller cities throughout the state have also seen tremendous losses from organized retail theft. 
Syracuse, Syracuse, New York. Police Chief Joe Cecile said last month his town has seen a 55% spike in shoplifting in the last two years, noting the figure is a conservative number due to underreporting. That number is likely higher because businesses often don't report, but they do continue to express their concerns. Chief warned that the small businesses are pretty much all having trouble sustaining themselves amid the crime surge. One local pharmacy chain, they've been suffering losses of over a quarter million dollars per year alone. In the state capital, Albany, police have fielded 23 calls for larcenies at a single convenience store, same store this year, 23 times. That's up from 14 at this time in 2022. Not surprisingly, the owner eventually had to shut down that one location. Retail theft at convenience stores throughout the state is not organized as at some other retailers, but it's as dangerous and impactful. My members, this is Ken Sopris, president of the New York Association of Convenience Stores. He said, my members have reported theft that leaves stores in shambles as criminals are looking for cigarettes, lottery tickets, and anything they can get their hands on. You know, New York State is not in this by themselves. California is just covered up with it. Illinois, especially Chicago, Washington State, Georgia, other all big cities are dealing with this boldness of criminals at the retail level. Now, we've all seen the videos of these criminals breaking into stores, often in the middle of days, wearing masks and going and grabbing things like clothing, footwear, of course, the biggies, jewelry, etc. But you may ask this question, where does all this stuff go? I mean, are they spreading it around their neighborhood? It would be kind of obvious if somebody stole a, a big diamond necklace and wore it down the streets in the hood would be kind of obvious, don't you think? There is an industry online now where these people can sell these Nike tennis shoes, expensive clothing, designer things, jewelry, can sell them at retail prices on these websites. And of course, you got to host it somewhere, YouTube, come up with a friend's place, come up with some way to do it. If you are evil enough to put this process together, you can find a way to get it somewhere online and sell all this stuff. So it's all getting sold. Who's not losing in all of this are the people, the suppliers of these goods that are going to these retail stores and they're being stolen, but the stores are having to pay to get them there. So who's losing on this? Store owners, store operators, from big to little. Nobody is exempt in this. And can you look to Washington, D.C. for some help there? FBI, Department of Justice, Attorney General Merrick Garland? Nope. No help there, no assistance there. They're handling their own stuff. Oh, that's state and local stuff. We don't get involved in that. That's not our problem. 
So we mentioned it. We talked about it. We are now about 11 months away from our 2024 election. And isn't it interesting to watch and see now, all of a sudden, every few days, we see another voter fraud issue coming up in court somewhere around the nation. Why is it just happening now? Don't think for a second that it's people trying to do something quickly to get the uproar out there so that going into election season, everybody's questioning and worried about voter fraud. It's not the case. Hundreds of these cases were filed right after the 2020 election, the 2022 election, and they're just now making their way through the court system. I, uh, I heard Bill Maher, the so-called comedian, self-appointed um, election law guru. I saw him get into it with Oliver Stone on a show. Oliver Stone, the great movie producer, and he actually made the statement during the show talking to Bill Maher. Bill Maher was cursing Donald Trump, the former president, talking about how horrible it would be if Donald Trump got back to office because he's an election denier. Donald Trump, Bill Maher said, the only elections Donald Trump thinks are fair are the ones that he wins. Honestly, I think he's only won one political race because I think he's only run for any political office one time. But when he said that, when Bill Maher said that, he asked Oliver Stone his thoughts on it. And Stone, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he basically said, I'm not sure Trump lost that election in 2020. You should have seen Bill Maher. He went nuts. Head started turning, spinning, spewing vomit. No, he didn't. But it almost got to that. He was chagrined. He could not believe that Oliver would even say that or think that. And Marr tried to go through the litany, the normal litany. Well, look, all these cases that the Trump people filed, every one of them were thrown out for lack of evidence. And when I saw it live, I wanted to jump in there and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not how it happened. Did you know that every one of the Trump-initiated lawsuits for problems in the 2020 election, every one of them, but two, never got into a courtroom. If you listen to the left, they're screaming, oh, Trump lost all these cases. He was ruled he was wrong. There was no cheating. No. Of about 30 cases, two of them got through the legal process. The others were summarily dismissed in numerous states and cities because the people filing the lawsuits did not have standing. These were state elections. They were federal elections. But federal elections are operated constitutionally by the states. So if some outfit over here in uh, Washington, D.C., they watched a race that they say was irregular, there was cheating or whatever out in Georgia, well, the people in Washington, D.C. didn't have standing in the voting issues 
in Georgia, so judges kicked the suits out because the person did not have standing. Now, what about those other two cases that weren't dismissed? Trump won them both. And now it's just like every few days we hear about some more. Yeah, actual fraud in elections being exposed. So we got another issue going on out in Arizona. A Supreme Court ruling late yesterday means that two senior Republican lawmakers in Arizona are going to have to testify about why they support state laws that require people to present proof of U.S. citizenship in order to vote in federal elections. The lawmakers have argued, so far unsuccessfully, that they enjoy a recognized privilege against testifying about the legislative processes that were involved in the passage of these two Arizona voting laws. A privilege like that is necessary for good government, prevents judicial second-guessing of the lawmaking process. That's what these Republicans say to the courts. Democrats oppose both of the state laws in question, of course, claiming they are part of a long-running Republican effort to suppress Democrat votes. Republicans, on the other hand, say the laws are necessary to assure election integrity, especially in Arizona, where they say has experienced irregularities in recent elections. The Department of Justice, the Democrat National Committee, activist groups sued over the laws, arguing they were inconsistent with federal laws and were created in order to unlawfully discriminate against voters. Despite this, Arizona Attorney General Chris Mays, a Democrat, refused to defend certain provisions in the laws. The Supreme Court refused to lift a September 14th order of federal district judge Susan Bolton in Arizona, who directed Ben Toma, Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives, and Warren Peterson, President of the Arizona Senate, to attend a deposition in a lawsuit brought by Democrats and activist groups. By the way, Judge Bolton was appointed in 2000 by then-President William Clinton. Specifically, these two lawmakers are expected to be asked why they supported these two Arizona laws. One of the laws allows the cancellation of registration if county officials have a reason to believe the person is not qualified to vote or lacks U.S. citizenship. The other requires proof of U.S. citizenship to vote. Judge Bolton struck down parts of HB 2492 and is moving to trial in a lawsuit challenging both laws. Now, put that, what I just gave you, in context. I think my right to vote is so important and so much a part of the fiber of the United States of America that I want my vote to count every time I use it. Now, what do you mean, Dan? That means that I expect to be required to prove I am who I say I am, and I am legally on the voter rolls in Louisiana where I vote. And of course, 
whatever identification I'm required to show. And in Louisiana, a driver's license works because it's got your particular private information, birth date, name, location, where you live, all that kind of stuff. Not every state requires that. But as an American, I want every person that wants to vote to be required to provide the same thing. And don't tell me it's racist or that we're trying to prevent somebody from voting. We had on this show, we've played it four, five, six times through the last four years. We have played stories where nonpartisan people that work for media outlets are out in the streets and talking to minority people, mostly black, some Hispanic, but ask them about voter ID and requirements to have those IDs to be able to vote. There was not one person in about three dozen that were randomly picked in New York, New York City, in Brooklyn, to be honest, people that were stopped and asked, they were insulted that someone would think that they didn't have a way to easily prove they are who they are and therefore their voter registration is legitimate. It's an insult. And every one of them, almost without exception, said, we have to prove every day when we do anything who we are and that we're qualified. Write a check, go to a store and charge something on a credit card. They want to see who you are every time. I'm tired of this, folks. I'm tired of this. We need to be Americans and we need to be held accountable for everything we do. We'll end right there for today. Have a great one.